Please turn with me to Psalm 18, our passage for today. It's on page 454 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 18, this is the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of his song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and he came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of, the bright, out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the seas were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too, too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dwelt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statues I, I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. 
this God, his way is perfect. And the, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. And he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemy and overtook them and I did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. As for they, as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. Thanks, Scott. Uh, good morning again. Uh, my name is Levi Pancake. I serve as one of the elders on staff here. And uh, just a quick word of thanks to um, all of those who are serving outside this morning. It's very cold. I saw Jay Bianchi, 7.30 this morning with no gloves on, uh, salting the sidewalks and shoveling and all that stuff. Andrew Iannotta came early too, expecting he was going to do it, and uh, Jay had already done it all. So all those who serve in the parking lot, kids, um, our safety team, all of that, just simply want to say Thank you. It takes about 200 people each month to uh, make these services happen. And uh, so for those of you who serve week in and week out, variety of our ministry teams, month in and month out, uh, simply want to say thank you. We're uh, continuing the series through the book of Psalms, uh, Songs of the Great King, and you heard Scott read for four and a half minutes, Psalm 18, the third longest psalm in the Psalter behind Psalm 119, Psalm 78, I believe. And so uh, let's pray, and then we'll dig a little deeper into... Uh, these 50 verses, though we won't go verse by verse through them all. So let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can come and worship you, praise you, declare your protection, declare your victory over your people and for your people. Pray now that you would incline our hearts, open our eyes, give us understanding 
satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Uh, I enjoy movies. I especially enjoy epic movies with epic battles and epic victories. Um, One of my favorites is Lord of the Rings, that trilogy. You got the second one, the two towers, the battle for Helm's Deep. I mean, it's like 45 minutes, hour and a half maybe. I mean, just this massive, at the time, like the largest battle sequence ever filmed in movie history. And um, the movie's been out for over a decade, so there's no like spoiler alerts. Like that that window has sailed. And and so at the end uh, of that battle sequence, when it looks like the good guys are going to lose, help comes from an unexpected place, then victory is theirs, they beat the bad guys, there's euphoria, there's celebration, there's victory. Or uh, the end of the third one, the return of the king, where King Aragorn is uh, coronated as king after just years of suffering and hardship and battles. All of a sudden now there's euphoria and there's, there's victory and there's celebration. Now, the author of the books that those movies were based on, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, he based a lot of the things that he wrote in those, not the fantasy stuff, but just like his, his initial idea for a lot of it came uh, from his own personal experience as he was fighting as a soldier for Britain for the Allied forces in the Great War, World War I, that uh, went from 1914 to 1918 as hundreds of thousands of soldiers died from both sides. Um, He was fighting in France and just this nasty trench warfare. And uh, you can see where he got the idea for Mordor as uh, millions of tons of shells just had, had cratered the French landscape that they were fighting in. And um, when that gruesome and bloody war ended. It ended on, or at the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month. And when it finally ended, the Allied forces had won. It ended 102 years ago almost. And there was euphoria. There was celebration. There was victory. And it's something that we still celebrate today on the 11th day of the 11th month, November 11th, Veterans Day. It's what we celebrate now in America. But it it initially started as the end of the First World War. That victory is overshadowed, of course, by what happened 20 years later in World War II. But for those who fought in that war, for American soldiers who fought in that war, while they lived, November 11th, Veterans Day, was a day of remembrance. It was a day where they recalled the suffering and the hardship and when they, they celebrated the victory. This idea of euphoria, celebration, victory, remembrance of hardship and suffering, all of that is the backdrop to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 can be found almost word for word in 2 Samuel 22. Now, that's the chapter right before David's last word. 2 Samuel 23, you have David's last word. So, this causes many to think that David is at the end of his life, and he's reflecting on a lifetime of God's protection, God's faithfulness, God's provision. 
And as he recounts, you know, hindsight's 2020s, he's looking back over the landscape of his life, all the, vi- all the battles, all the hardship, all the suffering. He recalls the victories. He recalls the protection. You get a glimpse of this in the superscription. That's that italicized part um, in your Bible right next to the number, 18. Uh, and um, you see that. It's the second longest superscription in the Psalter, by the way, behind Psalm 60s. But it says, to the choir master. This is a song, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. And from the hand of Saul, he said... If we take what is there, and in 2 Samuel 22, we, we get this picture of a man, a king. God's anointed. See God's protection. He sees God's faithfulness over the hand of his life. And so, uh, one of the main points is this, that God protects those who commit their ways to him. God protects those who commit their ways to him. We're going to see four uh, points. We're going to um, again, not be able to get into verse by verse in, in quite the same way that we have with some of the other Psalms or other passages. But let's look at verses one through six. First, God hears those who cry out to him. Verses one through three I, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I mean, this psalm is not just simply a recounting of all the wonderful deeds that God has done and all the wonderful ways that God has protected David. I mean, you see, just in the very first line, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Uh, You can see the devotion that David has for the Lord, the affection and the, the love. I mean, David deeply loves the God who heard his cries throughout his life. And then in verse 2, you see these, these eight names that David uses to continue to express his devotion to God. He says, my rock, my strength, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, Horn of my salvation, my stronghold. All these names begin, have the word my before them. And that just continues to highlight the affection he has. It'd be like me saying to my wife with Valentine's Day coming up on Friday. Husbands, Valentine's Day is coming up on Friday. If I said to my wife, you know, I'm writing a nice Valentine's Day card and I just start writing out to my wife, I mean, my sweetheart, my love, my babe, my arm candy, my devoted wife, my friend, I should look at her, my encouragement, <laughs> rather than Scott's eyes. <laughs> so similarly, I'll be at much, much differently. Uh, this is David uh, just highlighting his personal relationship with God, and he's, he's listing all these things that the Lord is to them. And, and what's really interesting is that all of them in some form or fashion have to do with God's protection of David. And you're going to be pressed to find uh, that, uh, that many like names and expressions of affection and devotion to the Lord in one verse in, in all 150 psalms. I mean, no other psalm in one verse brings together so many names in, in just one verse. And, and David makes it clear that he doesn't just call it to God because of who he is, as important as that is. But David's in real need Verses 4 through 6, 
The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. I mean, David, of course, enjoyed God's favor, but it doesn't mean that he had a very easy life. He faced incredible trials. I mean, his life hung in the balance many times throughout his years, whether it was on the battlefield or whether he was running from King Saul. I mean, King Saul had him in his crosshairs, and the odds of survival are pretty low when a king has you in his crosshairs. Just ask uh, any two, uh, the two wives of King Henry VIII that were beheaded, right? I mean, just if a king has you in the crosshairs, it's hard to escape. It's hard to get away. But in the midst of that, David cries out to the Lord to save him from death, and it was his knowledge of who God was and God's ability to protect him that in his desperate need, he cried out. He cried out to the Lord. This idea of crying out to the Lord, I mean, my, my kids illustrate this very easily, very well. Um, very often in our house, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. So not so much anymore, but especially like two or three years ago, if they're playing in another room and all of a sudden we hear a loud thud. Now we have an older house, so normal walking at times can sound like a loud thud as you're just walking on those creaky floorboards and all of that. But like a loud thud, like a, a larger than normal loud thud, we hear that and uh, Julie and I would just kind of stop breathing for a moment and wait for the cry. And if we heard the cry, then we rushed. If we didn't hear a noise for a while, that would make us nervous as well. But if we heard a cry, we would rush. We'd get there. One of our children would be crying, and, and they needed us. I mean, the, the cry of a desperate child who needed the protection and the comfort, the security of their mother or their father. Do you ever cry out to God like this? If not, why not? Maybe you don't see him as your source of help. And if that's the case, then what do you turn to for protection and comfort? Do you look to entertainment, Netflix, Video games, just straight up escapism. Maybe you drown yourself in your work. Maybe you self-medicate with other things. Are such needy prayers, the type of prayers that we see in Psalm 18, are they uncommon for you? And maybe just things aren't that bad right now for you. And generally speaking, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I don't want things to be bad for you. But it may be that things are not that bad for you right now. Or you don't feel that sense that you need God's protection. You need God's comfort. But maybe because you aren't engaged in too many things related to the kingdom of God. You are sitting on the spiritual sidelines, so to speak. Now, pastoral ministry has taught me a myriad of 
of things over the years. But one of the things it regular, regularly reminds me of is my great need for God. It's often I'm sitting with a hurting, broken brother or sister in Christ where life is just pummeling them. And I'm very aware of my neediness in that moment to I mean, I know this brother or sister needs the Lord and needs His comfort, but, but for me in that moment, I mean, what, what do I say? What Scripture passage do I point them to, to comfort them? And maybe uh, just when to be silent, when to just listen, when to offer a shoulder to cry on, uh, how to pray for them. I mean, that, my inability to fix their situation, help them in the ways that they need help, and, and try to direct their affection, their soul, their hearts, their minds, their strength to the Lord. I'm very mindful of my inability, everything that's found wanting. I mean, for those of us who are serving the Lord in a variety of ways, I mean, whether it's you're, you're just trying to, to love your spouse and serve him or her, or disciple your children, or maybe you're trying to engage your coworkers with the gospel, friends, neighbors, classmates, teachers, professors. As you continue to engage others in these things, I mean, open up your home for uh, hospitality. I mean, reach out, care for an aging parent, you name it. So we're doing these things. It's healthy for us to be aware of our great need for God's strength, God's mercy, His protection and grace. We don't want our distresses and our anxieties to, to build up, but rather let's, let's pour these out to the Lord, knowing, as verse 6 says, that those cries, they will reach His ears. And David declares with great confidence, our cries, God's people's cries, reach God's ears. And then we see in the second point how then God responds to David's prayer. You see that God rescues the needy. God rescues the needy. Verse 7 says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Then I'll paraphrase, but David goes on to elaborate in uh, some pretty spectacular language uh, just how God responds to David's cries for help. Uh, verse 8, it says, Smoke went up from his nostrils devouring fire from his mouth glowing coals flamed forth from him. Verse 9, he bowed the heavens and came down. Verse 10, he rode on a cherub and flew. Verse 13, the Lord also thundered in the heavens, hailstones and coals of fire. Verse 14, he flashed forth lightnings and routed them. I mean, David is weak. David is needy. Remember, I mean, this is the king of Israel. I mean, king had some wonderful resources to depend on. Troops, fortresses, wealth, technology. I mean, he had all the help the world had to offer, and yet he cries to the Lord, knows that he, even though he's king, cannot do this on his own. God's people do not need to be afraid of their own neediness, but rather let's, let's cry out to the Lord, allow him to save us, and he's happy to do it. God is happy to do it. 
And what about this language I mentioned, that spectacular language, earthquakes and smoke, darkness, wind, hail, fire, arrows of lightning, the sensational language. I mean, did God really do all of that for David? Well, technically, no. If you read throughout David's life, you see that none of these things, as far as we know, actually happened. So then is David just using imagery here? Kind of. He's not exaggerating. What, What David is doing is he's borrowing language from the awesome display of God in the days of Moses and Joshua. Verses 7 through 11, what they do is they, they echo Israel's experience on Mount Sinai. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the sky was, was filled with clouds and lightning. The mountain was surrounded with smoke and clouds, thick darkness. God descended in fire. The whole mountain trembled. That's Exodus 19, 16 through 20. Verses 12 through 14 Echo God fighting on behalf of, of when Joshua entered through the conquest, through, into the promised land. Uh, verse 15 says, Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. It's a picture of God parting the Red Sea. So what's the point of that? The same God who rescued Israel from Egypt is the same God who was powerfully at work in David's life. The God of Sinai, the God of Exodus, is the only one who could save him. Okay, let's then leap forward to us. Same phrase. The God who rescued Israel from Egypt and David from his enemies is the same God who is powerfully at work in our lives for those of us who are in Christ. The same God, the God of Sinai, the God of Exodus, the God of David's life is the only God who can save us. And David is very quick to give God all the credit, all the glory, all the praise. I mean, others from afar possibly could have looked at David's life and seen some of his successes, his triumphs and victories, and they could have possibly come to some different conclusions. You know, maybe they just saw David and thought, he's a pretty competent dude. High competency here. So, sure, he can accomplish a lot. Or, or maybe they saw how he wielded a sword on the battlefield and they thought, I mean, a guy who can sling a sword like that, I mean, eventually, he's got to rise to the top, right? Or maybe they just thought he was lucky. You know, that old adage, it's better to be lucky than good. But David, however, was very quick to give God all the glory. He was very quick to ensure that no one would misinterpret his life, not even for a second. He didn't want others to look at his life and conclude anything other than God. God was the one who was responsible for his successes. God is the one who gets all the recognition 
And this isn't some nice thing to say when he's accepting an award or if he scores a touchdown in a Super Bowl, you know, with a little point up there. I mean, he, his life, I mean, everything about him, he's pointing to God, his faithfulness, God's glory, God's majesty, God's greatness, God's protection. And when others see your life, if, in fact, they see something that is qualitatively distinct from the rest of the world, I mean, hopefully they look at your, your family and they see something wonderful, something almost enviable about how you interact with your spouse and your kids. Hopefully they see something about your work ethic or your attitude or um, what you live for or uh, the sacrifices that you make, how you interact with others, the joy in which you go about your day-to-day tasks. Hopefully they notice something. And if, in fact, they do notice something, who takes the credit? What are they going to attribute that to? Do you think others look at your life and they, they say, yeah, there's something different because they're a Christian. They're in Christ. They claim to follow Jesus. I remember as a teenager, I was working at Publix where shopping is a pleasure. That is a grocery store in Florida. Um, it's Florida's version of Wegmans. Michelle St. James would be very quick to tell you that Wegmans is a thousand times better. And I was, as a teenager in high school, I, um, I was a bagger because they had bags then, plastic bags. Um, I was a cashier. I was front-end coordinator, and at times I also did the leveling. And as I was there, I mean, I, I wanted uh, to, to make a positive impact there. I, I wanted uh, others to see that I worked hard. I wanted them to see that I respected authority. I, I wanted them to see that I, I showed up to work on time, that I rarely, if ever, called in sick, that I was willing to help others, that I had a good attitude. But if I reflect on those year, years, I'm not sure if I exerted much of an effort to make sure that my coworkers knew and the customers knew that I served Jesus. They may have just concluded I was a nice guy or that I had a lot of energy or something like that. I, I think they could have easily looked at my life and misinterpreted my life as to why I was or why I acted the way that I acted. I don't know how quick I was to point them to God. I mean, brothers and sisters, let's not steal God's glory by allowing others to misinterpret our lives. Amen. Rather, let's make sure that, that everyone knows if there is anything admirable, anything of note, anything praiseworthy, and how we conduct ourselves that they know that it is because of God's mercy, God's grace, God's strength in Christ Jesus. We see that God hears those who cry out to him, we see that he rescues the needy. Then thirdly, God rewards the righteous. God rewards the righteous. Look at verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. 
For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now, David is very clear as to why God rescued him. Here's the answer. It was because of his righteousness. Uh, Throughout the Bible, we see that God requires righteousness, blameless keeping of his law, that we would not depart from his ways. You might ask, well, wait a minute. I mean, God, does he really expect us to be perfectly righteous? I mean, perfectly blameless? Well, the answer is, no, he doesn't just ask it of us. He demands it of us. God created humanity in his image to love, know, and represent him. And because he's the creator, he has the right to rule over it. And that's not a bad thing because he is, he's kind and he's loving and he's good. But because of our rebellion, because of our sin, God could not have fellowship with anything that is not perfectly righteous. Therefore, we don't have fellowship with Him. We're alienated from Him. We're hostile in mind. We're doing evil deeds. And and because of His moral character, He doesn't just pretend that sin is no big deal. He doesn't just gloss over it. He doesn't just skirt around it. No, He's righteous, and He deals with it, and it deserves punishment. Ephesians 2.4 says, but, that's an important but, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. So Jesus Christ then comes and lives a perfectly sinless life. He completely fulfills the law. He doesn't sin, and then he takes that punishment that you and I deserve. And so for those of us who place our trust in Christ, Christ's perfection, his perfect righteousness, then gets transferred to us. The punishment that we're due gets transferred to Christ on the cross, Christ's defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, but Christ's righteousness gets transferred to us. It gets credited to us so that for those of us who are in Christ, God does indeed see us as righteous, not because of our own doing, but because of what Christ has accomplished through His life, through His death, in His resurrection and ascension. So when we read verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. I mean, we can't do that on our own. We can't be blameless enough for God to interact with us according to our blamelessness. We can't be pure enough for God to interact with us with that type of purity. But Christ 
can and did. That is the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel. And if you're here this morning and have not trusted in Christ, have not turned to Christ, would like to hear more about this Christian message, please come talk to me after the service, Bernie who was up here doing prayer, Josh, someone with a name tag in the back, the person you came with. We would love to tell you more about what Christ has accomplished for us. Now back to David, verse 20. David says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Now what is David talking about? I just said, if you were listening five minutes ago, David was quick to give all the glory to God. Remember, we don't want anyone to misinterpret his life, that whole stuff. But here, I mean, is David really taking credit? Is David taking the glory? Was David a human like us claiming to be sinless? Simple answer, no. David was a sinner, just like you and I. Read about David's life. Look at Psalm 51. I I read Psalm 38 yesterday evening. I mean, it's very clear. David was very aware of his own sin. And his eternal salvation was not based on his ability to keep God's law. But like all the Old Testament saints, he was saved by faith, by God's promise that was fulfilled by Jesus. So then what does David mean, claiming his own righteousness? Well, we need to recognize David's unique role as king over God's people. David is not speaking here as a unique individual, but as a representative of the people. He's speaking in a corporate capacity. As Israel's king, he speaks as their representative. And as the king goes... So goes the people. That's why in the books of First and Kings, First and Chronicles, uh, I mean, we see so much commentary on the kings, the representatives, but very little about the individuals that make up their kingdom and their, their faithfulness. So what the king's posture was to the Lord, whether the king was faithful, which we see these commentaries, this king was faithful, or this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, that resulted in either blessings or curses for the people of God. So to say that a king of Israel was faithful, that doesn't mean that they were sinlessly perfect. It's a, it's a general statement about their lives as to whether uh, the overall assessment of their lives was they sought to pursue the Lord and obey Him. And they pointed others to Him. And it's important to note that David's role as representative is much closer to Jesus' role as representative than ours. We can relate to David's weaknesses. We can relate to David's neediness. However, we cannot relate to David's role as king here. Uh, His role as king here is meant to give us a, a foretaste, a foreshadowing, a pointing to Jesus. Now, David represented the people for 40 years. Jesus represents his people for eternity. Now, hear this. So, While David's relative righteousness resulted in earthly protection and flourishing for a time, 
Jesus' perfect righteousness results in eternal protection and flourishing for all who are in him. I'll say it again. So David's relative righteousness resulted in earthly protection and flourishing for a while. But Jesus' perfect righteousness, it results in eternal protection and flourishing for those who are in Christ. I mean, we see this throughout the Psalms. David prefiguring Jesus as a type, um, a foretaste, a foreshadowing, a pointing to Jesus. And as we look at the lesser, David, with all his shortcomings and failures, it's to show us the greatness of the greater. As we look at the lesser, it reminds us of the greatness of the greater. Here's an example. Uh, December, we drove to Florida to visit the in-laws in Sarasota for Christmas. And it's a 1,400-mile drive. So when I got down there, we were due for an oil change. So got an oil change in the car. Everything was working great. We get home safe and sound, and it's wonderful. Until we're home in Syracuse for a couple weeks, and we have a morning like this morning. It was about 7 degrees outside. And uh, one of the great things about the Northeast, when it's cold and snowy, you get all the salt, you just basically just got to keep the windshield washer fluid on, right? So uh, we use the windshield washer fluid, it comes out, and it just freezes immediately on the windshield, okay? Try it again, nothing's coming out. Finally get to a place where we can stop, and the windshield washer fluid is frozen solid in the car. We start putting two and two together, and we realize, well, When you get an oil change in Florida and they top off all the fluids, they don't have windshield washer fluid that um, has like antifreeze in it uh, because, you know, it's always 95 degrees and humid in Florida, so they don't need it. So uh, we had to wait for it to warm up a bit, you know, keep the engine on, park in a garage, get to a point where I could just hold that sucker down until I could just drain the whole thing. And of course, there's this auto stop where after I hold it for four seconds, it stops, have to press it again. It was a good time for all involved. And I'd see the, the, the lesser Florida windshield washer fluid. <laughs> see what I did there? It points us to the greatness of the greater New York windshield washer fluid. <laughs> so that when you're driving, you don't have to stick your head out the window like Ace Ventura. The lesser... Florida windshield washer fluid shows us the greatness of the greater New York windshield washer fluid. David, the lesser, points to the greatness of the greater, Christ, our representative. Lastly, now there's 20 verses. I'll read like four of them. Don't worry. God secures victory for His anointed. God secures victory for His anointed. We see throughout the rest of the psalm, God securing victory. As David's reflecting on his life, he sees that God secures his victory. And we don't have time to nuance many of the things in these verses. Uh, Look at verse 31, 32, for instance, for who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. And then he, he uses this imagery to highlight how God has equipped him, how God has protected him, how God has given him victory. Verse 33 and 34, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. 
Verses 39 and 40, he equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. All kinds of just, just wonderful imagery here that I, I wish I could get into more. But, but all of this to highlight that it was God who gave him the victory. Now, when David talks about his enemy, just a quick statement that, to say, remember David's representative here. This is part of his role as representative. You know, so if we're praying Psalm 18, like uh, not always are our enemies God's enemies, but as, as David is representing the people, his ways are God's ways. And as he's, he's talking about the defeat of his enemies, he's talking about God's protection, and he looks at his life and he sees that God has protected him, and, and it ends with praise in the last two verses, verses 49 and 50. For this, I mean, what's this? God's faithful protection throughout David's life. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. And sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. We do, in fact, have complete and total victory secured for us in Christ. That's a great hope. And I pray that as we consider our lives, and for some of us, you have a little bit longer of a row behind you than you do ahead of you. For others of us, we're optimistic that we'll have many, many more days and years ahead of us. But as others look at our lives, or we reflect on our lives, I pray that others would see the hand of God and His faithfulness and His protection and His goodness, and that we would be quick to see when we evaluate our lives, the goodness and faithfulness in the hand of God. I mean, for most of us, I mean, we are in the thick of it right now. I mean, we're in the midst of the battle. We're right smack in the middle of the great war. And it's hard for us to get out of it for a moment and have this type of perspective that God is faithful, God will protect, God has secured for us victory, victory in an eternal sense through Christ Jesus. And one of my favorite things, I'm getting ready to do one after the service here, is uh, to sit down to do member interviews. You know, people that are interested in um, becoming covenant members, oftentimes we sit down, it's a great get-to-know-you time where they uh, share uh, briefly their testimony of God's faithfulness. Same type of thing we do in uh, baptism interviews. And just to hear, whether people are aware of it or not, just the recounting of it, the, the explaining it, God's providential, caring, Loving, fatherly, compassionate, directing hand, even when we're not aware of it, even when we can't see it in the moment. So people of God, may we have hope. May we have comfort. May we rest in God's sovereign, good, providential hand. 
May we see, those, see that he protects those who commit their way to him. May we be a needy people who cry out to him. May we plead the blood of Christ, plead the blood of Christ, plead the blood of Christ, and allow his righteousness to cover us. And may we live joyful, praise-filled lives as we go about the mundane daily tasks that are before us, giving God the glory, giving God the honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision, your protection, and your grace. Father, we pray that these truths would manifest themselves in our lives. And though every day we fall woefully short, we do in fact plead the blood of Christ. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your... uh, We love you, Lord, our strength. It's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen.